0: Welcome to the first episode of Business of Humanity. The date is February 22nd, 2020. The location is Des Moines, Iowa, and I am Gary William Bear. The purpose of these talks is to extrapolate and expound on the subject matter of a book that I wrote and published in 2010 which is called Corporate CPR, Resuscitating the Business of Humanity. In this book, I describe experiences from the age of 17 to about the age of 50 in which I come to learn that fear is a practice that humanity engages in that has nothing to do with what life is about. But what I ultimately realized in the course of my life is that the fear is what denies us of our access to our free will. And so this series of episodes, which we titled The Business of Humanity, is to speak to the fact that The essential business of being human is to free the human will. Now, upon hearing this, I expect that you might take issue with the notion that your will is not free. And while I cannot know what is true for you because I'm not living your life and having your experience, all I can do is share with you what I have come to know about my experience and offer to you insights, practices, and points of consideration that have the opportunity to allow you to discover for yourself what is true about your will. To begin, I thought it would be good to speak with you about the title of the book, And the nuances inherent in it to help establish a common foundation for our time together. Also, you will find that throughout all these episodes I will go to great lengths to define our terms so that when we speak about will or freedom or thoughts or emotions that we are operating from a common understanding which will allow us to at least come closer to an understanding of what it is that I am speaking about so that you are able to identify it in your own experience. Now, the title Corporate CPR, Resuscitating the Business of Humanity, is really a play on words. The CPR, as you know, stands for Cardiopulmonary Resuscitation and corporate typically refers to business or corporations. And then I have a colon in the title and it reads resuscitating the business of humanity. So implicit in this organization is the idea that the business of humanity refers to the corporate part and resuscitation refers to the CPR part. Now, it was a shock to me to realize in my own life the nature of what my will was and how it operated. And it was a shock for me to understand that my will was never turned off. It was always in the on mode. And it was more impacting for me to realize that it was largely not free because it was mostly co-opted by the practice of fear or one of its derivatives, which is anger and hate and rage. And I thought, how can I become free of this? So anyhow, going back to the title, Corporate CPR, Resuscitating the Business of Humanity, is about the fact that human beings, when they come into existence, when you and I as human beings come into existence, we have a job. And we cannot not do that job. And it is so intimate and essential to our way of being in the world that we don't even know what's going on. And it's this hidden aspect of it which makes it extremely difficult for us to notice it and to affect corrections around it. So to help illustrate this idea of will and fear and freedom, I would like to speak just for a moment about two instances in my life, one that occurs when I'm 17 and one later when I'm 50. Now both of these experiences are described in some manner and detail in the book. But for the purposes of this series of talks, I think it's important that I share with you my point of view and how I've arrived at my understanding. The first experience happens while I'm 17. I'm a senior in high school in Newark, California. And as is the normal practice, having four brothers and not cars to drive, I walk to school, which is about two or three miles away. And on this particular morning, it's very cold. It's November. There's a lot of moisture in the air. And I actually take a detour on my normal route to school and go and stand over at the bus stop that I knew was there, but I'd never availed myself of it. Now, I'm not a really popular guy. I'm a little bit shy. And when I walk over to the bus stop, you can see that the people are grouped according to their social structure and how they like to relate, then I stand by myself because I'm not really one of those people. And when the bus rumbles up, and it's one of these big yellow uh, school buses that have the green vinyl seats inside, the bus rumbles up and stops in a cloud of smoke from the exhaust passes the bus and people wait their turn to get on board. And I go inside and I find myself a seat by the window on the driver's side towards the middle of the bus. And this little fan is screaming its heart out trying to push warm air into the cold space of the bus because it had been parked outside overnight and this was early in the morning and you know the the drill, it's cold. Now being not a social creature and kind of shut down in a lot of ways. I don't want to interact with anybody in the bus so I intentionally look out the window to my left and I'm not looking for anything, I'm looking away so that my eyes don't interact with anybody in the bus or anybody that would come on the bus at subsequent stops that might want to sit next to me. I'm kind of wanting to keep to myself. So we drive around and stop at different places and when the bus comes to the end of Lake Boulevard and intersects Thornton Avenue. It comes to a stop at a four, at a four way light, and there's always that moment in intersections when every car is stopped because none of the lights are in green or yellow mode; they're all red. And as it comes to the to the intersection and it stops, something stops inside of me. In an instant, time stands still. The sound of the Whirring fan and all the commotion from the other kids in the bus, all the thoughts in my mind, everything comes to a grinding halt as this wave of silence pours into my mind. I wasn't afraid. I wasn't in a hurry. I was peaceful. I was serene. And I continued to look out the window at the cars that were stopped at the intersection. And as I looked in the car, as I looked at each person, it was like changing a dial on a radio where I was tuning to a different station. And each person that I looked at, I instantly knew everything about these people. I knew where they were going, what they were about, what their fears were, what their hopes were, what their aspirations were. And at the same time, I realized that each and every one of them was stuck in an illusion. At first, I thought it was like they were trying to fulfill the American dream, and they were clueless of the fact that they would never get there. But it was deeper than that. It was that each of them was unconscious to the fact that they were going to jobs that would make them only enough money to pay for the cars they drove, the food they ate, the clothes they wore, and the places where they slept and that they would do this again and again and again until their end. Now I'm having this experience and it's not as if there's an emotional charge associated with it. It's simply the truth of the situation. And then out of that silence, a voice says, Mankind is engaged in a process that has nothing to do with what life is about. And instantly, the voice is gone, time starts to roll forward, the fan and the noise of the kids, and everything crashes in on me. And as the bus begins to rumble forward, I know that I have just experience and come to understand something very important about the life about our life and i knew that i wanted an escape from it and what was interesting is that such experiences change one's perspective change my perspective my way of seeing the world and that is its purpose it is to be like a course correction and as the bus made its way to school i struggled with the idea of holding on to the clarity of the experience in the midst of it fading like sand through my hand. So it was in that moment that I realized that fear is this practice that humanity engages in that has nothing to do with what life is about. And I sought my way out of that practice without knowing how or where, when or why. Now, 33 years later, I'm 50 years old. I've spent the last 33 years learning to meditate, doing spiritual practices, reading philosophy, becoming a a father, a husband, um, or rather a, a husband and then a father, and doing my life. And at this particular time, I'm 50 years old, I'm sitting in San Francisco at the end of a year-long program that's offered by New Ventures West in San Francisco. It's called the Integral Coaching Program. And at the end of the program, you have this testing period, which takes four days, where all of the students that were in the class are divided into two groups. So I had 18 people in my class, so there are two groups of nine. and. In front of nine, well, in front of eight of your classmates, you sit in the front with a person who's been brought in off the street that you've never met, who's agreed to be coached in real time in front of your peers and four teachers, a video guy and a camera. It's a pretty stressful experience. And there's nothing that you can do to prepare for it except be present with it. So at the end of the testing, Everybody who's in those two groups is asked to wait outside in the hallway from the classrooms until they can bring each person in one at a time to tell them whether they are certified, they're not certified, or they're certified with a condition, which means that there's something they have to do to um, complete the teacher's expectation about what would make them qualified to be a coach. Now... The group that I'm not in has already gone through all of their nine people have come in, gotten their results of their test, and have come out before even one of us on my group has gone in. And then finally the door opens and they ask the first person to come in, and we go in in the order in which we did our testing. So I'm the third person, and when it's my turn, I go in and I sit down, and these four women One of them was my course leader for the whole year. The other three I'd never met. They're sitting there in front of me and there's a chair for me to sit in front of them. There's no desk or anything in between us. There's just this chair and these other four women. And when I make myself comfortable, they very graciously say, we apologize for taking so much time in completing our evaluations and giving you our decision. And the reason why we took so long is we were talking about you. Now, upon hearing this, and you'll get to know this a little bit about me, there are certain things that trigger me based on the patterns of my parenting and things that have happened in my life. And so when I hear this thought or hear this statement that we were talking about you, the only thing I can conclude is that they've either decided that they can't certify me or they're trying to figure out a condition that I would have to fulfill in order to be certified. And as I consider the possibility of this, my heart just drops. My mood shifts, my face becomes sunken, and I am just mortified because I thought I was pretty good at what this coaching stuff was. And at this moment, I'm just feeling like crap. Now, my course leader, her name is Pam, she looks at me and realizing that I'm having, an, um, I've been triggered and I'm having an emotional reaction, she says to me, No, 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 it's not what you think. It's that we were so impressed with all of your case histories and the way you conducted yourself in the session today and how you accurately describe these practices for people to help them have an experience of what it is they need to do next and that it actually works beautifully in how you do that. We actually think that you're going to be a very masterful coach and we welcome you into our community of practice. Now, the logic of that is lost on me because emotionally I am screwed. I am—I uh, think in the book I describe it as a plane when it's going down, it's lost, you know, the engine is blown and it's screaming with smoke coming out of the windows and stuff. And that's how it feels. I'm just like screaming to a crash. So, all the the ladies, they're very kind and they're very uh, clear about the fact that I'm having an episode, a post-traumatic stress reaction, and they don't pay any attention to it. They just putter on and they say that. So, what took us so long is we were trying to figure out any recommendations we could make to help you show up as the best coach you can. And the only thing we could come up with is that we'd like you to go work out and develop your chest muscles. So completely destroyed, didn't matter what they had said. I get up and I walk out. I open the door and I announce to the next person that it's their turn to go in. And everybody waiting in the hallway goes expectingly. so Bear, what happened? Did you get certified? Oh, sure you did. How did you ever have a doubt? You always knew you're one of the best students in the class. And I grumble something like, yeah, whatever. And I go and I up against the wall down the hallway and I slide to my ass on the floor and I just sit there with my forearms on my knees, my head hanging down, just steeping in this loathing and um, fear and judgment and just all this nasty stuff is just roiling in my system. And there's this guy in my class, I don't remember his name. He's standing by the door that I just come out of, and he says, Gary, what's going on with you? And I get up and I walk over to him while everybody else in the hallway is watching. And I'm already on the verge of tears. And I want badly to vindicate myself from the self-judgment and abuse that I've been experiencing my whole life, which came to like a head in the middle of my meeting with these four teachers these four reviewers. And so I stand there and I watch myself begin to speak to the logical aspect of my experience to try to subscribe it in a way, to state it in a way that conveys both my insight and my concern and my trouble. Basically I wanted to make myself look good. And at the same moment, there was this other path clearly outlined in my awareness, my consciousness that didn't allow me to do any of that. And for the first time in my life, I opt to take the path less traveled. I take the one which seeks not to make myself look good or intelligent or insightful. I take the path which I know will make me appear like a little boy crying to his mother about something that has just happened to which she cannot do anything but comfort me. So I begin to describe all the events of my encounter in the room with those four ladies and I'm, I'm, my eyes are puffy, I'm, I'm, I'm crying now and I'm blurting this out also conscious of the fact that I'm 50 years old and all these people are standing around watching this adult male have a meltdown over something that didn't happen. <laughs> and this guy, he lets me finish what I'm saying and then he steps in and he gives me this hug and then I really lose it. It's like in one of those movies where you bury your head in the shoulder of the man when you're the woman, but I'm the man in the shoulder with the man and I'm having this childlike meltdown and I'm just sobbing, just sobbing. And he goes on for like five minutes. And finally, there's a moment where I can, um, I'm done enough where I can, you know, step away. There's no judgment from him. There's no anything from anybody. And I go back over and I sit back down. Later that afternoon, as I'm going up the escalator, we'd, we'd gone to lunch, and I'm, I'm going up the escalator, and behind me is standing one of the women who had just gotten on the escalator, just a few steps behind me. And I turned around and I said, hi. And I turned back around and I said, I don't remember her name. Let's just say it's Mary. I say, Mary, I never realized how extremely beautiful you are. I hope you don't mind me saying that, but I'm just blown away by how beautiful you are. And Mary looks me back in the eyes and she said, you know, Gary, we've been in this class for a whole year, and this is the first time I've ever thought that you saw me. And I want to thank you for seeing me. Now, the reason why I share this is this is just the beginning. Because in taking the path less traveled, I actually stepped into the truth of my emotional tone, which I had been living my whole life, because that experience in front of those four women didn't cause anything. It just brought it to the surface, and this was the first time in my life that I was able to step into the truth without editing or judging or commentary. And what literally happened was It was as if heaven crashed in on me. Because from that moment and for the next 11 days, I was in this very altered state of consciousness. I found myself in this state of unconditional love where I could look at a person and know everything about them in a glance and have nothing but love for them. Kind of like when I was 17, only it was a more developed experience. And It was so powerful that when I would walk down the street of San Francisco, people that were 100 feet away would be walking away from me and they would just stop in the street and they would turn around to look at me because there was something in their field of experience that they couldn't account for that made them turn and look. And this happened many times. It even happened while I was waiting for an appointment on University Avenue in Palo Alto. I'm standing on the street leaning up against a poplar tree. At least I think it was a poplar tree. And the sun is streaming down. It's around noon in the afternoon. And just looking at the leaves and breathing the air, I'm intoxicated. And this big black um, Suburban is driving up University Avenue and it comes to a stop in the middle of the street. And the window goes down on the passenger side and this beautiful woman pokes her head out the window and looks me in the eyes and she says, God bless. (laughs) And so <clears throat> this experience that I'm having for 11 days straight is characterized by unconditional love the ability to know what's in people's hearts and minds with just a glance. And the most interesting part of it was that I felt as if I was sitting inside this bubble. Now if you if you've ever seen I think it's Leonardo Da Vinci draws this uh, the Vitruvian man it shows a man with his arms and legs out inside this bubble, and it was just like that. The the thing about it for me was that every thought I could ever have, everything I could ever know, existed on the skin as a point that populated the exterior of this bubble. And I was the spacious interior. It wasn't that I was a point in the interior, I was just the space inside. And I was completely free. Even my ego, which is really nothing more than a thought about myself, occupied one of the points on the edge of the sphere. And I used to tell people it was like being at the 50-yard line in a stadium where your ego is in the topmost row, furthest away from you. And that was where everything I ever could know existed, all knowledge was there. And I had this experience of being completely free in this space of unconditional love. So it is because of these two contrasting or rather evolving experiences that I came to realize that my will could never be free unless it was in that experience of unconditional love. And so it is the purpose of the, these talks on the business of humanity that it is my hope and wish to share with you the things that I have learned, the things that I have tried, the insights that have come, that have helped me to free my will and fulfill my business of humanity. And so I offer this to you with all humility and sincerity and and plan to speak with you regarding the second episode, which is titled, Beliefs Are Not Truth. Bye for now.